on this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group. Maybe federal data privacy activity won't impact universities yet. Unless someone decides to take a crack at rewriting FERPA and uh, no one seems to be lining up in, in either the House or the Senate to, to take that task on, I actually think we're unlikely to see significant change in privacy requirements for colleges, universities, or federal privacy in general. This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening across the community. A top official from the U.S. Department of Education's Federal Student Aid Office is pleading with higher education institutions to report cyber attacks and data breaches the moment they're discovered. In remarks last week, Devin Bott, the agency's acting CISO, says the agency isn't there to punish anyone, just to help. The Federal Trade Commission is suing EdTech vendor Chegg for exposing tens of millions of users' personal information after four major data breaches since 2017. The FTC says roughly 40 million users had their personal identifying information exposed in the incidents. Since the breaches, the company says it will implement a new data security policy and adopt multi-factor authentication. Campus tech leaders are continuing to look to play a greater role in overall institutional strategic planning, according to the new list of top 10 priorities released by Educause. The group's list identified a seat at the table as the top priority for higher ed CIOs, privacy and cybersecurity, as well as workforce issues, ranked second and third. You can find all these stories and more on edscoop.com and in today's show notes. Big changes are on the horizon for university IT policies due to federal rules surrounding cybersecurity, data policy, and web accessibility. Under revised rules published by the Federal Trade Commission as well as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, universities will need to change some reporting requirements. Additionally, if a federal privacy bill is signed into law in the next year, that could add additional wrinkles for higher IT leaders. Jarrett Cummings, Senior Advisor for Policy and Government Relations at Educause, tells EdScoop's Lindsay McKenzie what's top of mind for higher ed IT leaders when it comes to federal policy heading into 2023. Well, I think um, the the biggest one out there is biggest because it has the least detail available about it at this point, which would be um, IT or web accessibility. The U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights uh, announced earlier this summer that uh, it planned to update the accessibility regulations under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And then roughly a month or two later, the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice announced its plans to um, develop web accessibility regulations under Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is the uh, section of the ADA that covers state and local governments. So for colleges and universities, that would be public institutions first. So both the Department of Education and the Department of Justice have indicated that they expect to release uh, notices of proposed rulemaking on these issues in the spring of next year. But that is literally all of the information that they've made publicly available about their intentions. Um, so it's uh, it's a bit of a cliffhanger right now. We we know there's a, there are a couple of blockbusters set for release in spring of next year, um, but we're not quite sure exactly when in the spring they're going to drop. And we're not going to, you know, unless something changes, we're not really going to know much about the details until they, um, they hit the big screen. Do you have any guesses? Well, you know, I think the... 
first possibility for getting some uh, information would be to look back at the 2016 uh, web accessibility rulemaking that the Obama administration uh, pursued under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, that was the last effort um, at the federal level to pursue web accessibility regulations. And, you know, uh, uh, with the transition to the Trump administration and that rulemaking ceased, um, but that may give us some ideas, although at best it's speculative given, you know, the, the time that's passed um, from then to now. You know, I would say that if we look at the uh, communications that the Department of Education released uh, around accessibility during the pandemic uh, where you know they released some uh, video notices and some documentation you know trying to highlight for k-12 through as well as higher education the importance of meeting existing uh, accessibility requirements under um, section 504 and the ada that you know clearly ensuring that online learning is available to persons with disabilities is likely to be a key component of whatever rulemaking they ultimately release. I wanted to ask you about something that has been a big discussion, I guess, at the federal level, countrywide level, which is data privacy. And I'm wondering whether you think we might see data privacy standards in higher education change in the next few years. Yes, I would say that, well, there, there, there's one area where there seems to be bipartisan, bicameral agreement within the Congress, and that's around bolstering privacy protections for minors. And so there uh, have been proposals to expand privacy protections for minors and extend them uh, up to the age of 17. And that could impact certain aspects of higher education, particularly around student recruitment and admissions. So those are policy proposals that may have some opportunity to proceed in the Congress, and we'll have to watch them carefully. Past that, unless someone decides to take a crack at rewriting FERPA, and uh, no one seems to be uh, lining up in, in either the House or the Senate to, to take that task on, I actually think we're unlikely to see uh, significant change in privacy requirements for colleges, universities, or federal privacy in general. Um, and, and that comes back around to the fact that the parties uh, have very fundamental disagreements on two key issues as they pertain to uh, comprehensive federal privacy legislation. One of those is about whether or not a comprehensive federal privacy law should preempt uh, state privacy laws so that there's essentially one set of privacy rules nationwide that um, companies, institutions, and individuals can count on. Republicans very much believe that any comprehensive federal privacy law should fully preempt existing or possible state privacy laws, whereas Democrats believe that a federal law should create a baseline set of privacy rights and protections above which states can go if they want to. And thus far, the disagreement in that space has seems irreconcilable. Likewise, Democrats believe that any comprehensive federal privacy law should have a robust private right of action, which means uh, a, a strong set of provisions that will allow individuals to sue for violations of their privacy rights under the law. Republicans, on the other hand, are concerned that that will uh, simply create 
unnecessary and counterproductive litigation across the country. So they are very resistant to having any private right of action in a conference of federal privacy law. The latest attempt to address uh, these issues um, that seem to have some momentum was a bill that came out of the House Energy and Commerce Committee earlier this summer, uh, and it purported to resolve those two problems. But I think when you actually look at the bill, what they essentially did was paper over their disagreements and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, that bill, while it made it out of committee because it was sponsored by the chairperson and the ranking member of that committee, it pretty quickly hit a roadblock in the House and uh, had really no chance of being uh, brought up in the Senate. Do you think we might continue to see more states moving on data privacy if there isn't an agreement that can be reached at the federal level? Yes, I think that is the, the trend that seems to be developing. Um, I think to a certain extent, some states have been waiting to see how um, California's experiment with uh, consumer privacy works uh, before proceeding. But there have been uh, a number of bills introduced in a number of state legislatures, and it's probably just a matter of time before we see some of those enacted Um Unless, of course, a, a comprehensive federal privacy law with strong federal preemption uh, ultimately emerges. I also wanted to ask you today about cybersecurity and what the incident reporting requirements might look like in future. Yes, well, one one of the I guess most pressing issues in that space for higher education concerns whether or not the Federal Trade Commission is going to add an incident reporting requirement to uh, the FTC's uh, safeguards rule, uh, which presents uh, cybersecurity requirements for personal financial information. So for higher education, that largely revolves around student financial data, although there are other um, you know, pockets of personal financial information that a university may hold. So when the FTC announced um, late last year uh, that it had uh, revised the safeguards rule and introduced a, a whole suite of new requirements, at the same time, it proposed a new additional requirement for incident reporting under the safeguards rule. And the notice of proposed rulemaking on that issue actually was um, fairly straightforward from a higher education perspective. The uh, proposed reporting would address just a few basic requirements that would not be overly burdensome for our college or university to address. And so we worked with a number of other higher education associations, uh, suggested the FTC that if it um, stayed within its original rulemaking proposal, that would probably be fine. Where we had some concerns were around some of the uh, points that were implied by questions in the FTC's rulemaking notice, one of which was whether or not the FTC should make reports submitted under this requirement, should it take effect, public. And we basically argued that given the information that the FTC was requesting, uh, that that would not be helpful necessarily to the FTC nor to the public. However, if the FTC insisted on pursuing that angle, um, we recommended that delay making any reports public for a year uh, from their date of submission to ensure that institutions would have a full opportunity to remediate any security issues and communicate with affected stakeholders before 
the report became a matter of public record. So the FTC gathered up the comments from that process and is still in the uh, process of uh, processing them, lots of processes. So we don't know yet if they're going to proceed to that rule, and if so, exactly what shape it's going to take. However, based on uh, how the FTC approached revising the overall safeguards rule, we're pretty sure that it is going to introduce an incident reporting requirement for the safeguards rule, and that it will largely track with the original rulemaking proposal. Another development that may take place in this space concerns an amendment that's been proposed uh, for uh, the current National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, this is an annual must-pass bill that sets the funding levels for the Defense Department. Um, and because it must pass, it's usually a vehicle for introducing a variety of other uh, issues as well. Uh, so this amendment, which is very similar to an amendment that was proposed for the last year's NDAA is targeted at updating and upgrading uh, federal agency cybersecurity policies and practices. But as part of that, it would require contractors and grantees of respective agencies to report cyber incidents to those agencies, as well as the Cybersecurity and in, in Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, if those incidents involved federal data relevant to the agreement, federal information systems relevant to the agreement, or the receipt by the contractor or grantee of data from the agency that's not actually covered by the agreement. And the basic provision itself is hard to argue with. Colleges and universities, we would want our contractors working with our data and our information systems to let us know if an incident occurred involving our data and our information systems. But where the devil's going to be in the details concerns when the agencies get down to writing the regulations or changing policies and procedures to implement that requirement should it come to pass. Um, so that's what we'll really be watching for is how are the agencies going to interpret that legislation if it uh, becomes law and what kind of regulations they might propose that could create problems for colleges and universities if they're not written with some degree of care and understanding of the higher education context. I think you mentioned that there are some basic requirements of the safeguards rule, which higher education institutions still have to meet. Would you mind outlining what some of those are? And I think the deadline is approaching soon, is that right? Yes. So the uh, revised safeguards rule was officially published in the Federal Register on December 9th of last year uh, with an effective date for most of its new requirements of December 9th of this year. So uh, there's quite a bit of ground for institutions to cover um, prior to December 9th. And from my perspective, once an institution has fully processed all the requirements, and I think that's that has to be the, the key starting point, is there's a lot new in the new safeguards rule uh, that institutions you know, need to get up on the board and start mapping out. But once that process has taken place, I think uh, it, it's really important to focus on the definition of customer information, because that's really going to define the scope of uh, the application of the new requirements. And uh, this interacts with the definition of covered information systems to create a potentially complex situation for many institutions. 
because uh, a covered information system under the regulation is any system that holds customer information. Um, and a shorthand way of describing that would be personal financial information. So again, for colleges and universities, primarily student financial aid data. So a, a covered information system is any system that holds that kind of personal financial information or any system that is connected to a system that holds such information. Given how student financial aid information populates many different uh, information systems across a given uh, university or college, just mapping where the boundary for uh, applying these safeguard rule requirements uh, is uh, could be a very complex undertaking. And so sitting down with legal counsel, the business office, financial aid office, and identifying what the institution should consider as customer information and where it is, is going to be critical to fulfilling any of the other requirements. In addition, I think a really key change from the previous safeguards rule is that institutions will now have to have a single, quote unquote, qualified individual. They could be a chief information security officer. They could be somebody else who holds a, a, a different title, but you have to have a qualified individual to um, develop, lead, and enforce the compliant cybersecurity program for your institution. And of course, it's that enforcement provision, which is particularly complex in a higher education environment, because we generally have, uh, you know, a fairly open and collaborative process for data management. So where under the previous rule, you could have distributed authority for coordinating the institution's cybersecurity program. Now you have to have someone in charge, making sure that the safeguard rule compliant cybersecurity program is being enforced across all of the aspects of covered information and covered information systems. As December 9th is fast approaching, should institutions that haven't really started working on this yet be panicking? I, I wouldn't suggest panic as, as a good first option. I think Certainly, now is the time to start taking a very hard look, if, if the institution hasn't already, at what is required in relation to what the institution already has, and recognize that um, while that December 9th deadline is important, you know, it, it is a regulatory requirement to be in compliance. Um, historically speaking, we have not seen the Federal Trade Commission view higher education institutions as a major compliance priority. Now, that could change at any time, so you don't want to hang your hat on that point alone, but I think it, it's reasonable for an institution that needs to catch up to think that it will have some breathing space around that December 9th deadline to do so. Jared Cummings, Educause's Senior Advisor for Policy and Government Relations. You can read more about him and reporting requirements for higher ed at edscoop.com. There are also links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help make it happen, and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.